0: Okay, Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse number 10 will begin there this evening. Okay, let's unblack things. Good, okay, wonderful. Well, we just learned another lesson. I'm really grateful. Chris Bean, Judson was able to talk to him yesterday and figure out where we were having some issues with communication, so I think we're doing really well here Uh, as far as figuring things out. We just learned another lesson, and that is if they're on it, it doesn't show up here, so there's got to be a... Uh, In the past, we were able to boot off. If another device tried getting on, they could just kick that device off. In this case, apparently, if you guys are on it, it doesn't show up on another device. So we got it figured out. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10, uh, just uh, in a teaching setting like this, trying to affect as many senses as possible, seeing, hearing, and uh, trust that this will be a help to us tonight. I want us to consider the subject of redeeming our suffering when we talk about redeeming something, we talk about buying back or making sure that we don't waste an opportunity. I got to tell you, it's human nature when it comes to suffering to let's do everything we can to hurry up and get this over with, okay? But when we speak of redeeming our suffering, we're talking about making sure that we don't waste what it is that God wants to accomplish in our lives through it, Okay? And I want you to keep this in mind tonight. And this struck me, I'm preparing a message on this passage, not on this theme right here, uh, from a little different perspective for Sunday night uh, at the church my dad pastors. But I want you to notice verse number 10, chapter 3, that I may know him, speaking of Christ, and this is Paul's longing, he's voicing his longing, his desire, that I may know him, and the word here speaks of experiencing him, that I may experience him, not just have a head knowledge about him, but that I can have a personal relationship with him and that that will be deepening. How's that going to happen? That I may know him, the power of his resurrection. Paul will talk about that in Ephesians chapter number one. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is available to me to live the victorious Christian life. And Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know his power, the power that raised him from the dead. And then notice this. What else does he want to know about him? How else can he know Christ better? Through the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable or patterned unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. If you're going to experience resurrection, you first have to, you got to die. And Paul speaks of the sufferings of Christ, and it's intriguing to me that Paul refers to or uses the phrase here that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the Fellowship of his sufferings. The implication is if I'm really going to know Jesus at a deeper level, then it's going to involve the fellowship of his sufferings. The word fellowship is interesting. It, the Bible word, koinonia, speaks of communion and partnership. But get this communion and partnership. So you can see that here communion or partnership with the sufferings of Christ. But the word koinonia that's translated fellowship here, and this is what struck me when I saw this, and I just had to pause and say, Lord, you're really going to have to help me with this one. But the word fellowship also carries with it the idea not just of union or communion and partnership, but also implied in the word fellowship is the, the concept of benefit. Now think about that as it relates to the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, Paul, by tying, under inspiration, tying the word fellowship with the sufferings of Christ, he is trying to get us to understand that in the fellowship of his sufferings, not only is he talking about partnership with Christ in his sufferings when I suffer, not only is he talking about communion, but he is also talking about getting us to see that we are to view our sufferings from the standpoint of the benefits that God intends to bring about in our lives. How many of you, when you think of suffering, think of, don't raise your hand, think of benefit? We don't, do we? I know I don't. When I think about suffering, I'm thinking negative, generally speaking, not positive. Now, we're going to notice in a couple of passages we're going to consider this evening... That in the context of suffering, Paul uses the word rejoice in his sufferings in several different passages. And as you think about the book of Philippians in particular, you think about the theme of rejoicing we could read further on down through the passage notice if you would verse number 15 as we think about Paul's mindset his desire to win Christ his desire to know Christ his desire uh, verse number 12 to apprehend Christ just as Christ has apprehended him but notice what he says verse number 15 he makes application let us therefore as many be perfect referring to those who are believers in the process of sanctification let us be thus minded In other words, Paul's saying what my mindset is about wanting to know Christ, even including the fellowship, the benefits that he wants to bring to me through suffering. Paul's saying that needs to be the mindset of all of us. That's a tall order, isn't it? And yet, it's a mindset that when we discipline ourselves to focus on it, we can redeem our sufferings. As we think about redeeming our suffering, I was reminded in preparation for the message tonight of the quote of Adniram Judson's son. Of course, many of us are familiar with Adniram Judson and the sufferings that he experienced in getting the gospel to Burma. But Adoniram Judson's son was speaking at the dedication, I believe it was at the Judson Chapel in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania years ago, and he made this statement. If you are succeeding without suffering, it is because another has suffered before you. If you are suffering without succeeding, it is so that another can succeed after you. By the way, if you want to take screenshots of this, feel free to do so. You can crop me out or Photoshop me out later. Okay. But this is a tremendous quote. And his understanding that if, if I'm going through suffering and not succeeding... Somebody after me is going to have a blessing because I suffered for them, okay, in my generation. And it, but if I'm succeeding without suffering, I can look into the past and realize, and I think about some of the blessings that we enjoy as Americans. It's because previous generations suffered, okay, and paid a price. I think about the, the blessings that we experience you understand religious liberty is, in the grand scheme of human history, religious liberty, the blessings we have as American Christians, religious liberty is a fairly recent phenomenon. Okay. Even in the early days of our country, nine of the original 13 colonies did not have freedom of religion. That's for another time. But I want you to understand, we have what we have because others suffered before us. And it's because they had a mindset, get this, of redeeming their suffering, not wasting their suffering, but making sure that God's powerful and redeeming purposes were accomplished through it. Just a propositional statement for us suffering is inevitable, it is varied. How many of you have noticed this? For some, some people, the, the suffering may be physical, for some, it may be emotional. For some, it's it's a workplace situation. For some, it's a ministry situation, for some, it may be heartbreak in a family. So the kind of suffering can be varied from one person to another. For some, it may be a tragedy that takes place in a family. An accident. And it's a it's a flash of tragedy. For others, it's a prolonged illness. For some, it's their stand for Christ. It's suffering that is inevitable in life, it is varied. It is difficult, and it is painful. But I want us to understand this evening that suffering is redeemable for the child of God because of the successful sufferings of Christ on our behalf. He, as the second Adam, crushed the serpent's head. He has conquered death, and because of that, death has lost its sting. And therefore, for any suffering, because of how Christ suffered and the accomplishments of his suffering, the the eternal death aspect that would be the result of suffering for you and for me has now been removed and suffering for us because the second Adam crushed the serpent's head. Suffering for you and for me is only temporary. And all God's people right there should say... Last night Audrey and I went on a walk. Is she in here? Or no, she's in the master clubs. We went on a walk and she decided because it was after rain, it was cooled down, it was getting to twilight, she was going to walk barefoot. And it's I still my adrenaline rush comes just thinking about what happened. While we were walking, on that walk last night, a 45-minute walk, we killed three snakes in the road. The first one was the worst one. As we're walking along, her left foot passed the head of a little snake laying on the road. I mean, literally passed right in front of its face. Her right foot swung right over the top of the body of that snake in the pavement. And then she stopped and calmly, nonchalantly looked back and said, Look, Daddy, a dead snake in the road. I bent over that snake and looked, and it was not dead. It had flattened its body out. And its head was raised, and I immediately recognized it as a baby copperhead. That she had just passed her left foot right in front of its face, and her, or her left foot, and her right foot swung around to the top of it, and then nonchalantly turned around and said, oh, daddy. And even when I said, that's not dead, and that's a copperhead, she didn't get worked up. On our way back home, we saw a frog in the road, and she panicked. I'm like, kids, you got your priorities all messed up. I took that stick, and I, as we joked a couple weeks ago, exercised dominion. And was Christ-like, and I crushed the serpent's head. Okay. In all seriousness, I want you to understand tonight, suffering, your suffering, as a child of God, is redeemable because Jesus Christ succeeded in his suffering. We as children of God can redeem, buy back the opportunity, maximize the benefits of our suffering when we use them as a God-ordained opportunity. First of all, I want you to think about this, a topical study. When we use them as an opportunity to recognize our sufferings, use them as an opportunity to recognize God's refining work in our lives. One of the things that God wants to do in your sufferings and mine is to make us more like Jesus to refine, to purify the gold of our lives so that we shine more brightly for him and are of a higher quality for him. Of course, there you see 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9, the apostle Paul begging God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to do it. We looked at this passage several weeks ago. In Paul's weakness, Christ's strength is made what? Perfect. And Paul said, most gladly, therefore, because of what Christ can do with my sufferings, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to notice another passage, though, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 1. And and I'll just admit to you, this one still puzzles my mind. It is not teaching sinless perfection. I'll tell you what I believe it is teaching. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 1 For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, Peter then tells these believers, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now this is not teaching sinless perfection, that those who suffer physically become sinless. But I will say this, those who have suffered physically for the cause of Christ and have the right perspective, I believe that it will have an effect on them to such a degree that they will want to sin less. Okay. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. The, the word cease there is the idea of it's lost its appeal. You think about it. When you go through physical suffering, the appetites of the flesh in a sense are curbed. I'll give you an illustration that I believe will help with that in in a little bit. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. One commentator said it this way, as you look back on your life, realize that you should have gotten your fill of sin before Jesus saved you. Okay, we lived according to the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they, that is lost people, think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Remember, one of the themes of the book of Peter is, is a theology of suffering. And something interesting that Peter says here he makes a connection between how suffering for Christ then especially in this context, physical suffering has a way of diminishing the grip or the appeal of sin in the believer's life. Why? Because there's refining that is taking place. If, if we have the perspective of redeeming our suffering. My grandpa was a part of the, uh, what was this, originally a special forces group in World War II called the Tank Killers. I know I've shared some of this before. He was trained, along with his buddies, in that special forces unit. They were trained, either one man or in teams of several men, to go out in the dark and scuttle panzer tanks. And because the tank was such a powerful tool in World War II, it was considered a special forces unit and work, these tank killers. There are whole books written on these guys. One of the things that they would do to train these tank killers, since they didn't have night vision goggles in World War II, is they would put them in a cave, a dark cave all day long, and their eyes would adjust to the darkness so that when they came out of that cave at nighttime, it was as if they were seeing in the daytime. It helped sharpen their focus. Get this, being in the darkness helped to sharpen their focus to see better. In times of difficulty, in times of darkness, in the time of a believer's life, if we'll redeem those times of suffering, if we'll allow God to refine us, it will help us to see with clearer spiritual sight. Okay, It's a purpose that God can accomplish in our suffering. And so we can redeem our sufferings when we recognize God's refining work in our lives. Number two, we can redeem our sufferings When we determine to reflect the spirit and the attributes of Christ in our sufferings. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 24. And I'll just say, I was sharing some of this with Grace before the service this evening. Um, I contemplate, I consider some of these things. And they just, it's a hard time for a 21st century American to process this perspective of suffering. Would you agree with me on that? Okay. I'm telling you, maybe in our mindset we need to get back to the first century more, huh? I know I do. But we can redeem our sufferings when we determine to reflect the Spirit and understand that suffering biblically will help us to reflect the Spirit and the attributes of Christ in our suffering so that others see Jesus even as we suffer. So that others learn more of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 24. Whereof, verse number 23, where have I, Paul, am made a minister? He's talking about a minister of the gospel. Who now, here's the word, rejoice in my sufferings for you. So he has others in view, not himself when it comes to his sufferings. He's not thinking about himself. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. In other words, what I'm going through as a preacher of the gospel, the suffering, in order to get the gospel to you and to others, I rejoice in those sufferings and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul is not saying that the work of Christ on the cross was insufficient or somehow needed to be uh, completed. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that the work of Christ that was accomplished on the cross through his sufferings it only makes sense that as his followers and as preachers of the gospel we're going to do and should expect to do some suffering ourselves and if we have the perspective that that suffering has as its goal pointing others to Jesus Christ it will help us to redeem those sufferings. Okay. A gospel focus Second Timothy chapter 2 in verse number 10, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse number 10, the Apostle Paul, in speaking of suffering, said, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, this is not a message on the subject of Calvinism, but let me just say this. The word elect here does not refer to people who are yet to be saved. It refers to those who have already been saved. And somebody might say, well, what about the word salvation? Remember, when Peter or Paul here speaks about his desire that as he endures all things and goes through suffering for the sake of believers, why? That they also may obtain salvation. He's using the word salvation in the sense of deliverance or sanctification. He's not talking about a person's salvation from sin. He's talking about that part of salvation that we refer to as sanctification. And Paul is saying this, listen, as I suffer, believers are challenged. They learn more of the spirit and the attributes of Christ so that they too can grow in their relationship with him in their Christianity. Notice, if you would, chapter 3 and verse number 12. Chapter 3 and verse number 12, if you want to redeem your sufferings, Understand the importance of reflecting the spirit of, and the attribute of Christ in your sufferings. Verse number 12, chapter 3, Paul said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus may suffer persecution. Shall suffer persecution. Now again, persecution, sufferings are varied. But understand that it's actually an affirmation to us when we suffer for right. It's an affirmation to us that we are doing something right. That we're following in Christ's footsteps. Okay, And so we can redeem our sufferings when we determine that in so doing they will reflect. We can reflect the spirit and the attributes of Christ in our sufferings. I'm afraid too many times, and I'm going to be really careful saying this, I'm afraid too many times that when we do suffer, whether it's persecution or physical suffering, whatever it may be, I'm afraid that too many times we, we suffer like, too much like Americans and not enough like Christians. Okay. Just let that one soak in your heart. I'm letting it soak in mine, too. Okay, All right. But when we suffer like Jesus, we reflect Him. Okay. Remember how He suffered. Thirdly, we can redeem our sufferings when we understand that they give us an opportunity to reassure others of God's comfort. Look at 2 Corinthians. They give us an opportunity to reassure others of God's comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. In other words, mercies come from him. He does not give us what we deserve. Let that just encourage your heart, amen? The Father of mercies and the God of how much comfort? All comfort. Let's remember that he is the exclusive, the absolute source of comfort. The idea the word is to come alongside of in the time of difficulty. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You get that to the degree that you suffer as a follower of Christ, you have the opportunity to also to that same degree experience the abundance of his comfort. And whether we be afflicted, notice here Paul's focus. And i got to tell you how easy it is for me when some kind of Suffering or difficulty or trial comes from, who is my chiefest consideration? You can say it. It won't hurt my feelings. Who is generally, when I suffer and experience some kind of difficulty or persecution, who am I primarily concerned about initially? Go ahead and say it. Me. Okay. You can say, you, pastor, you're primarily concerned about you. I know. What a challenge Paul is to us. What a challenge the Lord Jesus Christ is to us. It is for your consolation, Paul says in the middle of verse 6. And notice this, salvation. And this is just a cross-reference to the consideration we just did in 2 Timothy. Paul's not talking about salvation for people who are lost. He's talking to believers here. And he's saying, my suffering is for your consolation and your Salvation. What is he talking about? He's talking about their growth in Christ. He's talking about their sanctification, okay? Which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Paul said, This really helps me to suffer biblically, to suffer the right way. When I keep the perspective of redeeming my suffering according to Christ's purposes and recognize and focus that my suffering, it's not about me. God is allowing me to suffer so that I can be a help to you. So that I can be a consolation so that as you see God comforting me in my affliction and in my suffering... You too, in your own trial, you can be comforted. You can be furthered in your growth. And that perspective helped Paul in the middle of his sufferings. So that he, in Acts chapter 16, could sit at midnight in a Philippian jail and pray and sing praises to God to such a degree that God said, you know what, I like that singing so much, I'm just going to let the reverberations of it cause with synthetic, synthetic vibrations or sympathetic vibrations cause an earthquake. But what was the result of it? Even after his back being beaten, even after being put in stocks, he and Silas suffering together, even after having been falsely accused and all that went along with it, the result was that Philippian jailer and his whole household got saved. And a little demon-possessed girl got saved before that. And Lydia got saved. The charter membership of the church at Philippi, in part, came out of suffering in a jailhouse. Because Paul's focus in his suffering was not on himself. But it was on what God wanted to do in other people's lives. And that's a way that we redeem our sufferings. Paul would go on to say, as you're partakers of the sufferings, verse number 7, so shall you also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. I love this. To be honest with you, we're not really very good at this. Somebody will ask you how you're doing. Now, I'm not talking about those people you ask them how you're doing and then you wish they wouldn't tell you. You're like, I wish I wouldn't have asked. How many of you ever asked somebody, how are you doing? And you got the whole pessimistic load. ER. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. Okay. How many of you have asked that question? You've gotten it before. That's not what I'm talking about here. Paul was transparent about difficulties. You know, somebody asks you, how are you doing? Man, everything's going great. <laughs> and you're in the middle of a trial. You know what Paul would have done? What Paul did. He said, I'm not going to have you ignorant of the trouble we've been going through. But it's not because it was about him. It's because he wanted them to understand the price that was being paid so that they could be helped. He goes on to say, we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. And you could go on and read all the way down to verse number 11. But... Redeeming our sufferings, we can do so when we understand the importance that we are helping and being used of God to reassure others of God's comfort. God allows you and me to suffer so that when we receive comfort, we can in turn be a ministry to others who've suffered. Fourthly and finally, I want you to notice this we can redeem our sufferings, and we've already seen several times the word rejoice in the text that we've read. You can and we can redeem our sufferings, use them for God's intended purposes, the benefits of them, when we determine to rejoice through our suffering in our coming deliverance. Don't forget in the midst of suffering that every trial, every suffering, every affliction is temporary because Jesus Christ suffered successfully. He took the permanence out of suffering for all of us. And therefore, we can rejoice. And Paul would say in Romans eight seventeen, he would say, if we've suffered with him, therefore, we will also experience glory with him. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, after the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death, what do we have to look forward to? Resurrection. 2 Timothy two twelve: if we suffer with him, we will also... Reign with him. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 13, let's put our eyes on this final passage before we conclude. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 13. But rejoice. Here's the word rejoice, or James would have it, count it all joy. Put it in the category of things to rejoice in. When you fall into diverse temptations or tests, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And so we redeem our sufferings when we, return, when we determine to rejoice in our coming deliverance And to remember that sufferings are only temporary, that resurrection and glory are on the other side.